Why are you looking at me like that? Like what? Like. <laughs> I'm trying to show enthusiasm with my, um, my nodding. Well, your enthusiasm is coming off as annoyance. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> are you annoyed? <laughs> no. Are you annoyed? No. Then we're good. Cool. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, hello. Hi. That was a fun introduction. Try and decide if I want to keep that in or not. <laughs> we love each other. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? I'm I'm tired. Are you? Um, yeah. So I'll <laughs> let you know. So I was feeling fine like a minute ago, um, and I just put Harper down to bed like ten minutes ago as well for a nap. For a nap, yeah. Sorry. Um, before that though, so Courtney went, um, to another house for a little bit. So it was just me and Harper and, uh, we decided to have a little dance party. Oh. Um, I go to Harper, Harper, do you want to dance? She goes, yeah. She runs up <laughs> to me, jumps in my arms and I'm like, okay. So I, I go to the, um, to our Echo, our Alexa Echo thingy. And I, um, I'm like, Alexa, play It's Raining Tacos. Um, you know that song, uh-huh. Raining Tacos. And we were just... Like just started dancing and she was loving it. <laughs> Her laugh was like the cutest laugh <laughs> that you could ever, anyone could ever oh, laugh. Oh, that's adorable. It was, it was Bummed the best. I missed that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, so after, like, so we had just had that song on repeat. There are a couple other songs that, um, I'm like, Alexa, play songs like this, and, um, so it played this a couple of just really weird songs. There was one about cheese tax. Oh. Like a tax on cheese. Um, there was one about poop in the fingernails. Gross. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are these songs? <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm just like, okay, we'll just go back to It's Raining Taco. So we just uh, had that on repeat and we were just dancing and then eventually she went down. So we were just like, it's just jumping around in circles and stuff like <laughs> that. And she went up to the, the freezer, like holding to the bar and just started like, jumping. <laughs> I, I think at one point she almost broke that bar, but... That's so um, funny. Yeah, but anyway, and then she just, she started wanting to run underneath my legs, but she's gotten taller, so she can't fit, like, all the way underneath, um, <laughs> so I have to jump, <laughs> and she kept doing that. That was, like, the last 10 minutes of our little dance party. I'm like, I am so freaking tight. It probably wasn't 10 minutes, but just that jumping, my legs were starting to get sore, my belly was starting to get, like, tight. I'm like, dang, I am unfit. <laughs> but anyway. That's funny. So that I happened. <laughs> anyway how are you i'm good yeah good bummed i missed a dance party but yeah. i probably wouldn't have participated <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought about recording it but we were in the middle of dancing and my phone was in my pocket i'm like eh, too much effort <laughs> too much effort <laughs> more effort uh, than jumping around apparently <laughs> that's cute yeah it was a lot of fun good good she good, was good. there in like her little yellow shirt and diaper just like <laughs> jumping around anyway <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Yeah. I was to say, this is like the first time in a while that we're not doing this late on a Friday night. So I was actually surprised that you said you were tired, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes. So. Plus, Harper woke me up at, what was it, six this morning? Yeah. And then she eventually like woke up officially for the day at 8.30. But I went there, laid in bed with her for a little bit. Um, but she kept moving around. I'm like, just let me <laughs> sleep. Uh... Well, I've got some pretty fun jokes for you. Oh, yeah? You want to hear them? I do. Okay. So, um, first joke. 
Why did the vegetarian stop running cross country? Why? They didn't like the meats. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. What kind of running shoes are made from banana skins? I don't know. Slippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, last one. I wasn't planning on going for a run today, but those cops came out of nowhere. <laughs> I've heard of okay this is not a joke this is like genuine I've heard that there are like apps or if they're these don't exist and I'm just making this up they should exist um but there's like apps that you can set it to like zombie run mm-hmm. and so it like tells you that zombies are chasing you to get you to run yeah like motivates you to run anyways there's there's a lot of the rings version where it's like walk to Mordor I'm like I want that so bad get it I should <laughs> cool well gonna just jump right into the story today because it's a really good one okay and i'm excited about it um any ideas what it's about running i'm guessing yes ding 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 usain bolt what usain bolt no okay i don't know who that is fastest man in the world oh yeah no not him okay um this is a story about a man named louis zamperini have you ever heard that name before nope okay is he italian Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Louis Zamperini was born on January 26, 1917, in New York to Anthony and Louise, both who were native to Verona in northern Italy. Cool. I lived in Verona, but it was in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Louis had an older brother named Pete and two younger sisters, Virginia and Sylvia. Uh, In 1919, when Lewis was two years old, his family moved to Long Beach, California. Um, And when they moved there, they didn't speak any English at all. So they were very, like, family-oriented. They kind of just leaned on each other since Mm -hmm. they couldn't really, like, speak to anyone else. And their household was described as strict but very devout Catholic. So lots of, like, really high standards and, and expectations in the house. Despite that, even from a young age, Lewis started drinking and smoking. Italians, um, I tell you. <laughs> Just kidding. Teenagers, I tell you. Um, yeah, that too, I guess. Anyway, so now let's fast forward to high school. During high school, he kind of had like a really hard high school experience. He actually almost died twice. Oh. Um, once from a house fire and then once from falling into an oil rig and almost drowning. Dang. um yeah and that was just like during high school but while also in high school he was bullied a lot for being italian so he i think that's kind of like why he went into like drinking and smoking was to kind of cope with just some of those things well maybe Um, he should just not have been italian (laughs) just kidding easy fix come on (laughs) just kidding so basically like to help learn how to defend himself his father anthony taught lewis how to box Nice. Um, however, he started getting into fights because of it, and he soon claimed to be, quote, beating the tar out of every one of them, <laughs> but I was so good at it that I started relishing the idea of getting even. I was sort of addicted to it. So he turned from abusing drugs and alcohol to abusing his peers, <laughs> literally. Uh, well, yeah, which is better? I don't know. Who's to say? <laughs> 
Anyways, so his older brother kind of took him under his wing and decided to help him get into running um, to help him stay out of out of trouble. And his older brother was kind of like a track star, you mm-hmm. know, this jock that everyone loved. But Lewis, at the beginning of his ninth grade year, he actually was challenged to a foot race and he came in dead last and wow. got like really bullied for it. So he did not want to run. He was telling his brother, like, no, I'm not going to do this. But his brother was like, no, we got to get you something like a, a better outlet than what you're doing right now. So Pete would take Lewis on like practice runs outside of school, like early in the mornings or late at night and just mm-hmm. like help him get better on his feet, get faster and have like better endurance. Okay. So that was kind of the start of it. So basically at this point, he joined the track team uh, and he took up distance running and actually, at the end of his freshman year, he ended up finishing fifth place in the All-City C-Division 600-meter dash at the end of the year. Whoa, so Lewis. Yeah, so he's starting to place. And at this... <laughs> Were there five runners? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Fifth out of five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, anyways, so this is what he has to say about this. Because um, basically, at this point, his life started to turn around for the better, like, once he started to actually do well with running. Mm-hmm. So he said, it was the recognition. Nobody in school except for a few of my buddies knew my name before I started running. Then as I started winning races, other kids called me by name. Pete told me I had to quit drinking and smoking if I wanted to do well and that I had to run, run, run. I decided that summer to go all out. Overnight, I became fanatical. I wouldn't even have a milkshake. So basically at this point, you can tell he's a very like focused individual. Mm -hmm. He really like puts everything that he has into something. And becomes almost like obsessed which isn't always a bad thing no for sure yeah especially if it's like a healthy habit or uh, not habit but like i guess just activity yeah hobby that's what hobby yeah <laughs> no and i think i think his brother kind of saw that in him which is why he like wanted to redirect you know like let's get you off of drugs and alcohol let's get you off from off of getting in fights you know mm-hmm. anyways so the summer after the summer of 1932 lewis ran his first cross-country race and after that he became undefeated in his last three years of high school so he got real good real fast wow he even broke his brother's records (laughs) (laughs) hey hey. um in 1934 he set an inner school inner scholastic record for the mile this is crazy ready he ran it at 4 minutes and 21.2 seconds at the preliminary meeting to the California State Championships. Hot damn. Yeah. <laughs> the fastest mile I've ever run was, it's like six and a half minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Which I thought at the time, I mean, six I still think. Six and a half is still it, really good. Yeah, it's way better than I could do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was back in like high school when I was actually a little bit more fit. Active. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more active, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the fastest. And like there were people on the track team cross country specifically who would um like they run the mile in like a little maybe i think one of them even ran it in a little under five minutes wow yeah um which you know awesome it's really good yeah um but yeah i'm just like uh i'm good at six and a half i'm, I'm good yeah. there. but now i could probably run it in maybe like 11 <laughs> i don't know That's i haven't tried in a while i honestly couldn't tell you. It in a while. i haven't ran a mile in a very long time <laughs> um but yeah so yeah, four minutes, 21.2 seconds. Um, anyways, that took him to state, and he actually won the championship a week later with a time of four minutes and 27.8 seconds. Wow. Yeah, so. Okay. 
Um, and because of that, he actually won a scholarship to the University of Southern California. Okay. Yeah. So during college, he joined uh, Delta Eta or Eta. 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 Mm-hmm. The Delta Eta chapter of the Kappa Sigma fraternity. Okay. Not really significant. It's just part of his college. <laughs> Um, and then in 1936, he tried out for the Olympic trials. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. This was two years after he set that record at his school. What year is this now? Sorry. 1936. 36. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in those days, basically to get to the Olympics, you really had to like pay your way to get there. And, you know, it was really hard because there's a lot of like really talented people, but they couldn't afford to ever go try mm-hmm. out. And this kid's nine, 19. Is that About, my yeah. right? Okay. About. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was born in 1917. Mm-hmm. Yep. So basically, you know, it was one of those things where he had a really rare talent, but like no money. Mm-hmm. And so actually the locals in his town raised enough money to help him like support himself while he went to the trials. That's so cool. And his dad actually worked for the railroad and was able to get him a free ticket. Nice. To get okay. all the way. Because the, the trials were in New York and he, he was, was in, in California. California. So, a train ride. Yeah. So he was able to get there essentially for free. And then he had enough money to support himself while he was there because of the locals in his town who like rallied together. And That's really money. cool. What an underdog story too. Like mm-hmm. here's this kid who was picked on <laughs> as a kid, as a child. And then he grows up and like loves the whole, like whole town loves him and everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, two years old, they moved there. Nobody could even speak to them. And then mm-hmm. the whole town is like rolling behind them. It's kind of funny like how that works. Like, you know, you get a lot of, like you gain a lot of respect from, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but like some, like an accomplishment like that. Uh-huh. Like before you have nothing, you made fun of and everything, but then like you discover this talent that you have and all of a sudden people love you. It's like, mm-hmm. do, you, do they like you just for like, the accomplishments did he like right, yeah. did they get to know you a little bit better because I'm of sure. your accomplishment yeah like, i'm sure and he's a really just incredible human mm-hmm. this is seriously one of the coolest stories i've researched and there have been times even throughout researching it this might just be because i'm a woman but whatever but i seriously was like getting teary-eyed just like how incredible his story is and i seriously cannot wait for you to hear the rest okay <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool okay so Anyways, now he's at the trials. The competition for the 1500 meter spot was really intense that year. There were a lot of prospects that were really, really good. People like silver medalist Glenn Cunningham and Archie San Romani and Gene Vensky, like all these people who have placed in the Olympics. That's who he was up against. Okay. Yeah. So basically he took a look at that and was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So he switched from the 1500 meter dash to the 5000 meter run. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which. A 5k. That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So it was also during um, a heat wave that was happening. This was on one of the hottest days of the year. And this was during the 1936 North American heat wave in Randall's Island in New York. And a lot of people that were trying out for this actually collapsed during the race. And it was so hot that during that week, during that heat wave, 40 people in Manhattan died from the heat alone. Oh, wow. In Manhattan. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's how intense this was, right? 
and he was running this 5,000. Do you have, like, what temperature it got to? Or I don't know. Okay, no worries. I could probably I look curious. it up, but I didn't That's write okay. it down. But, yeah, super hot. He's running this long distance, and he actually he ran it had a good pace and then at the end he sprinted as hard as he could to finish and he actually tied for first wow um he tied for first with another american record holder named don lash so he and don both qualified for the 1936 summer olympics which was held in berlin germany so lewis was one was 19 years and 178 days old making him the youngest american in history to qualify for the 5,000 meter race to this day. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like no one's tried since. No one, yeah, no one younger than him is that race specifically. I don't know about other records other ones, or other yeah. races, but that one specifically. I mean, yeah, 19 is a really young age to go to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So both um, Lewis and Don were competing in Berlin against Lori uh, Latinen. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But he, at the time, was a world record holder for the 5,000-meter race. And basically, when they got there, they realized that neither of them really stood a chance. But, of course, they were still going to race. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why part, wouldn't you? Part of the reason that um, he kind of got set back, which is actually a little bit funny, is on the boat on the way over to Berlin, Lewis had the time of his life because there was so much free food. Oh, I believe it. And, you know, remembering his background, like, he didn't grow up with a lot. And so, like, they basically described that he wouldn't even go to the deli to get a sandwich. Like, they were very much like, you eat what's at the table or mm-hmm. what's in the cupboard kind of thing. Like, and so he's on this boat and they have all this free food. <laughs> he just, like, went all out. He said, quote, I was a, a, the, I was a depression era kid who had never even been to a drugstore for a sandwich in his life. And all the food was free. I had not just one sweet roll, but about seven every morning. <laughs> Same. <laughs> with, with bacon and eggs. My eyes were like saucers. So by <laughs> by the end of the trip, um, Lewis uh, had gained a good amount of weight. He had gained about 12 pounds, which was pretty significant <laughs> because the summer that he had been training, he actually lost 15 pounds. So okay. he gained a lot back. <laughs> Anyways... It didn't necessarily hold him back too much. He did end up placing eighth um, in the 5,000 meter distance event at the Olympics, which is still really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, his time was 14 minutes and 48 or 46.8 seconds. And then his uh, teammate, uh, Don Lash, placed 13th. And then that guy that they were really like scared to race against, Lori, he ended up coming in second that year okay. and winning silver. So. Anyway, super cool. His final lap, though, so the whole thing was 14 minutes and 46.8 seconds. His final lap, he did in under 56 seconds. So he sprinted at the end. And it was headliner kind of thing. Everyone was so impressed with how fast he went at the end. Uh And he even caught the attention of one onlooker named Adolf Hitler. Oh, okay. (laughs) He was very impressed with Lewis's sprint and he had him come over to the stand and after like Lewis had told him his story and he was shaking his hand, Hitler said, ah, you're the boy with the fast finish. So that's that. Nowadays, that's not such a good thing, but (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Sorry. I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) 
that's staying in there. <laughs> you can you can explain that one to your mom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, she's fine. I'm not worried about explaining it to your mom and dad. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, that's funny. But anyways, that's the only little snippet about Hitler. I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he had his time, his fame in the Olympics, and... Honestly, if that was the end of his story, that's still a really cool story. But, but we're about halfway through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, after the Olympics, Lewis returned to college where he set a new record for National Collegiate Mile with a time of 4 minutes and 8.3 seconds. During that race, competitors had actually tried to like spike him and hit him with objects. Oh. Um, and he, as a result, got some really severe gashes in his legs, but he still won the race and set a new record. Wow. Yeah. Rubber in that face. Dang. Yeah. So he had, like, cuts in his shins. Anyways, that record remained for 15 years, and Lewis actually got the nickname for it, Torrance Tornado. <laughs> nice. So... Imagine having a nickname, Tornado. What? Imagine having the nickname, like, Tornado. Right? <laughs> for being so dang fast. Yeah. All right, here begins the second half of the story. In 1941, Lewis enlisted in the United States Air Force. He earned a commission as second lieutenant. He was assigned to a Pacific island of uh, Funafuti as a bombarder. Uh, And I looked that up, or bombardier, bombarder, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is basically what it says on Google as a definition is... A member of a bomber crew in the U.S. Air Force responsible for sighting and releasing bombs. Mm -hmm. So, in case anybody else was confused. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's kind of in the name. I know, but, like, I wasn't sure if it was specific. Like, he's the one that dropped the bomb or he was the one that, like, made sure everything was working properly. You know, I just wasn't sure if it was very specific. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, that was his job. And he was assigned to the consulate consolidated b-14 liberator bomber which was nicknamed the superman okay on april in april of 1943 the superman participated in a bombing mission against the japanese held island of nauru where lewis served as the bombarder they had a very successful raid however once they started to retreat they were actually attacked by three japanese zeros which are combat aircrafts combat aircrafts Mm -hmm. And that attack severely damaged the Superman, and it actually wounded five crew members that were on board. You might say it was its kryptonite. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Good one. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so five of the crew crew members were severely wounded. Lewis immediately jumped in to help, you know, give them first aid. He was actually successfully able to save the lives of two of this com- of his comrades that were wounded. Nice. Um, unfortunately, one of them, one of the five, did end up passing away. Oh, not nice. But Lewis was able to help save at least two of them. The other, I think, four in total all made a at least semi full recovery, and uh, they lived. You know, semi full recovery. Because I couldn't tell you if they like lost limbs or anything like that. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but but they did survive it, and he was the help for at least two of them so so that's pretty cool this is what he said uh ground crewmen counted 500 bullets and shell fragment holes in the the few fuselage 
and tail structure of the big four-engine bomber after it had skidded to a stop with a flat tire. So over 500 bullets were shot through. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. And Lewis didn't get hurt. Unscathed. Yeah, which is really cool. Dang. So after that situation, the bomber was obvious, or the Superman was obviously no longer able to be used. It was too damaged. And so Lewis and the rest of the healthy crew members from his crew were reassigned and they were transferred to Hawaii. And they were from there assigned to conduct a search for a lost aircraft and crew and were given another B-24, which was called the Green Hornet. And the Green Hornet actually had a bad reputation. The pilots would refer to it as a defective lemon. <laughs> so okay. not great. <laughs> a lot of people like, actually... Go ahead. Because even, even the term lemon, when you're referring to like vehicles, is a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a defective lemon. It's like... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like one of those like kind of a bad omen just from the start, yeah. you know? Um, and actually, there was a little bit of speculation of like whether or not he was actually assigned that plane but it was confirmed in his diary entries. Okay. He had confirmed the name based off of like entries from a day or two before they like left. Oh, I see. Okay. So he did go on the Green Hornet. Anyways, so right before he went on his last mission, fun fact, this was May 1943. Lewis ran a mile in under four minutes and 12 seconds, <laughs> which was even more impressive because <laughs> he did it in sand. Wow. What? <laughs> Like on the beach? Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, almost hitting his, like, record, his huge record of the four minutes, if eight I, seconds. If I saw that, I'm just like, man, now I want to try it on concrete. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, let's see what you can do on, like, right. pavement, right? Get under four minutes, freaking <laughs> new world record there. I don't know. What, I think it's around. I don't know what the world record is for the mile. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know either, but. I'll look it up while I keep telling the story. Okay. Well, I'll wait just because the rest of it is, like, really intense. Okay. It is 3 minutes 43 seconds. 43.13 seconds. Wow. So. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, that's still a really, like, long time away from 4 minutes and 12 seconds, but also it's way closer than my 10-minute mile. <laughs> <laughs> Second that. <laughs> and that's being generous for me. Okay. So they go camping? Huh? They go camping? No. You said it's intense. Oh. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> All right, Miles. You're funny. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so here we go. <sighs> May 27th, 1943. The date is significant, okay? So just remember, 1943. Okay. While on the search for the missing aircraft, the Green Hornet encountered some mechanical issues, which caused it to crash in the ocean. 850 miles or 1,370 kilometers south of Oahu. The crash killed eight of the 11 crew members on board. Lewis survived, along with pilot Russell Allen Phillips and crew member Francis McNamara. They had very little resources. Um, The plane had deployed two rafts. They were able to get on both of the rafts. And... They were trying to salvage what little materials and food they had left. And mm. in a panic, Francis ate all of the chocolate that they had. Oh, jeez. Okay. So they're panicked. They're freaking out. They're getting mad at each other. They're, you know, all these different things. So they start to try to rationalize what's going on and salvage the food they had left. They had no drinking water. So they would 
collect water when it rained and use that. Um, and who knows how often it rained, right? right? Um, they did end up, they would also uh, basically catch small fish that would come near their rafts and eat them raw for nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually were able to capture two semi-large birds that landed on their raft. Uh, they are albatrosses. Mm-hmm. Do you know what those are? Mm-hmm. They look, I looked it up, it looks kind of like a pelican almost. Mm-hmm. So they caught two of them and they ate one and then they used the other uh, as bait to catch fish. And so they were able to, for the most part, stay fed as well as they could. Anyways, Francis had a chance to redeem himself because they got attacked by a shark and he used an oar to fight it off. Okay. So saved them from a shark. So redeemed himself for the whole chocolate fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, during their time on the raft, they obviously had a lot of issues. So they had gone through a storm that almost capsized them. And they were also spotted by a Japanese bomber who had strapped them a number of times. And strapped is basically when they use you as target practice, essentially. Oh. Yeah. Dang. So it's like they knew they weren't that harmful. Like they weren't going to survive most likely. Mm-hmm. But they were just like shooting them. How insensitive. Stuff. Right. <laughs> well, these guys are dead anyway. Yeah. And so anyways, it happened a number of times. Their raft got punctured, but none of them were hit. Um, however, after 33 days at sea, Francis did end up passing away. So Lewis and Russell wrapped his body up and pushed him overboard, which is sad. At day 47 at sea, um, down to the very last bit of their resources, Lewis and Russell drifted onto the Marshall Islands, where they were immediately taken prisoner by the Japanese Navy. They were held in captivity, severely beaten and mistreated until the end of the war, in 1945 it's like two years may 27th was the day they flew out Hmm. and now this is 47 days after that plus two years (laughs) so very long time yeah um initially he was held so lewis was held at uh kwajalein atoll these are like Japanese names, so <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> You're good. Probably getting them super right. After 42 days, they transferred him to the Japanese prisoner of war camp of Afuna uh, for captives who were not registered as prisoners of war. After slightly over a year on or in Afuna, Lewis was transferred to Tokyo's. Um, Amori prisoner of war camp and was eventually transferred to the fourth destination he went to was uh, Netsu or Netsu which was in northern Japan and that's where he remained until the war ended so he had been to four different camps so he was tormented in the fourth camp he was tormented by a prison guard who was nicknamed the bird uh, his name is Mutsuhiro Mutsuhiro, the bird, Wantanabe. So we'll just call him the bird. Okay. And he was the most ruthless man. He had very, very little sympathy, if any at all, for any of these prisoners. Um, And he actually had a reputation for being one of the harshest. Mm. Anyway, so that was where Lewis was for the Is there any information where the nickname the bird came from? Because I'm trying to 
like think of a correlation between brutality and birds. I I'm not sure where he got his name, okay. but um, maybe it's because he was very foul. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Uh, you're good. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. So fun fact about the bird. He was actually later included in General Douglas MacArthur's list of the 40 most wanted war criminals in Japan. Wow. Okay. So, not a good guy. So, while Lewis was imprisoned. Maybe they should have flipped the bird. (laughs) uh, uh, You're done. (laughs) I am cutting you off, sir. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) okay so while in prison uh one fun thing that lewis would do is he actually would share italian recipes with the people around him in as much detail as he can give them to help them kind of keep their minds off of like the food and the conditions that they were being treated and Mm -hmm. and what they were enduring and he the last camp that he was in he was being held there with a man named major greg Pappy Boyington. So that was just one of the other people that was a prisoner of war. Boyington um, actually wrote a book about his imprisonment called Baba Black Sheep. And in the book, he actually describes the Italian recipes that Lewis had described for him. And he could describe them in detail. Wow, that's cool. And it's just one of those things where they were in such a horrible situation. And yet they were able to cling on to recipes, Mm -hmm. you know, as comfort. And I thought that was super cool. So back in the United States during all this time, basically the day he went missing at sea, he was declared missing at sea. Um, however, one year and one day after his disappearance, he was marked as killed in action. And so President Roosevelt even sent a letter to Lewis's parents with a formal condolence in 1944. Oh. However, in 1945, when the war ended, they found out he was alive and was being brought home. And he was actually... Um, when he returned home, he received a hero's welcome. Cool. Which, okay. I don't know if you know what that is. It's basically just like a large celebration yeah. from the town. Uh, typically, it's like parades, parties, awards, mm. you know, things like that. But yeah, he got a really big welcome home. A year later, in 1946, Lewis married Cynthia Applewhite. They were married until Cynthia died in 2001. Uh, they had two children together named Sissy and Luke. And then, obviously... You know, he had a really hard time with the war. He had PTSD, and he actually struggled a lot with nightmares, and he would specifically have nightmares about strangling his captors (laughs) and, like, killing them. Um, And it started to really weigh on him mentally, and so he started to drink to kind of get rid of those memories. Um, However, during this time, his wife was a very devout born-again Christian, and she went to a congregation um, where a preacher named Billy Graham, who is pretty famous during that time he was the preacher uh and she had convinced lewis to attend services with her and after you know a while he finally like reluctantly agreed because you know grew up catholic wasn't really religious at this point but he's like whatever my wife wants me to go i'll Mm -hmm. go so he went and one of the sermons that billy was preaching to him reminded him of the way that he used to pray uh that Lewis used to pray when he was on the raft and when he was in the prison. Just, like, the demeanor of him and the things he would say, the way he would say it, it just reminded him of his own personal prayers for help. Okay. And it was so moving to him that he committed his life to Christ at that point. (laughs) 
this part like makes me emotional because it's so cool after committing his life to christ he was eventually able to forgive his captors and he did that crediting his faith to christ and as a result the nightmare stopped oh <laughs> lewis then began a career as a christian uh, evangel eva- evangelist mm-hmm. i'm gonna say that again <laughs> okay Lewis then began a career as a Christian evangelist, and he regularly taught the power and the importance of forgiveness. Um, and he even, throughout his life, made a point whenever he could to visit former captors that he had just to let them know that he had forgiven them. And one time, specifically, he actually took a, tri- a trip to Sugamu Prison in Tokyo Uh, in October of 1950 and he found the guards a few of the guards that had tortured him and he let them know that he had forgiven them and they were so moved by his outreach that they turned to Christianity as well (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) which that in itself I you know it's it's really hard to look at the people who tortured others during wars and think that they have any remorse but I'm sure they did I'm sure after this was all said and done, it, they were racked with guilt. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think there's a mixture of people. Like there, are the, I, there are those psychopaths out there that like in, enjoy hurting other people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I too find it hard to believe that there's not at least a little bit of guilt for these people. But like, even so, there's some messed up people out mm-hmm. there. Like this, the bird guy. Yeah, yeah, um, we'll talk about him again, but. Okay. I just think it's really touching to know that he had touched them so much by just simply forgiving them, even when they never apologized, mm-hmm. you know, like they didn't reach out to him and be like, hey, dude, sorry, like, how's life? You know, sorry about what happened. No, he went to them and was like, you did this to me, but it's OK. I forgive you. I'm mm-hmm. moving on. And they were so deeply touched, which I think to me just goes to show like, you know, they definitely had remorse. At least some of them. did. Yeah. So I just think it's cool. Um, anyways, so moving on, four days before his 81st birthday, Lewis ran a leg in the Olympic torch relay for the Winter Olympics in the Nagano, Japan Olympics, uh, I think I said that right, which was not far from one of the camps he had been held, the last camp he was held at, actually. Um, while he was there in Japan, he attempted to meet, uh, with his... Sorry, he attempted to meet with the most brutal tormentor of his time during the war, the bird, Mr. Watanabe. Um, and I just have like a little snippet about him. It was he was known as the bird who had ev- who had evaded prosecution as a war criminal, and again was really wanted and just not a good guy. Anyways, um, Watanabe aka the bird refused to see him refused to speak with him so uh lewis sent him a letter basically in the letter telling him how great his mistreatment was from him and how much he suffered and how awful it was but eventually you know in the letter he told him i do forgive you for all of this and unfortunately we will never know if the bird got the letter or even read it if he got it because Lewis never received a response and the bird died in 2003. So, I don't know. I hope that the letter 
did something to him and maybe chipped away at his little stone cold heart, but you never know. Anyways, um, March of 2005, Lewis returned to Germany to visit the Berlin Olympic Stadium for the first time since he had competed there at 19. Um, and then in his 90s, he continued to attend USC football games, the college he went to, and he actually befriended the star quarterback, Matt Barkley, in 2009. And then in 2012, on June 7th, he appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, (laughs) speaking about his life in general, the 1936 Olympics, and his World War II exploits. And then 70 years after Lewis was officially declared killed in action, uh, Lewis fell sick of pneumonia on July 2nd, 2014, when he passed away at the age of 97 in his Los Angeles home. That's a long life, though. That is tomorrow. The anniversary of his death is tomorrow. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine years since he passed. Uh, wow. And I, I wanted to point out, too, just how different his life could have been if he really was killed in action mm-hmm. um very short still heroic still incredible but he was able to have 70 years with a wife in there and with forgiveness and with christianity turning to christ with children mm-hmm. with all these wonderful memories and then he was able to pass away i mean he got sick but he passed away peacefully in his home at 97 yeah you know yeah. it's it's just really cool yeah, that is really Basically cool. Basically got like a second chance of life. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a that's a crazy story. <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about, um, just real quick. Uh, so, Lewis wrote two memoirs on his experience. Both of them are called Devil at My Heels, but they have different like co-authors and different content. Uh-huh. And then an author named Laura Hillenbrand wrote a biography on Lewis which is called Unbroken, a World War II story of uh, survival, resilience, and redemption. And it became a New York Times bestseller and was named the top nonfiction book of 2010 by Time Magazine. Nice. Um, And remember when I was taking my notes and I was like, I didn't realize I knew this story until I got to the second half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's because I saw the movie. (laughs) Um, So the book Unbroken was twice adapted into film. So the first one was, it's called Unbroken, and it was directed by Angelina Jolie. That's oh, okay. the movie that I saw. And it is absolutely insane. It is so good. I definitely recommend it. Um, anyways, there's another, uh, uh, like a sequel that is Unbroken Path to Resumption, which covers his recovery from his abuse as a prisoner of war. Um, and that came out in 2018, I think unbroken the movie came out in like 2014 it doesn't say anyways that's that was just what what i wanted to mention was that they turn it into a movie and the movie from what i remember did a really good job of showing like the pain he went through and like the torture he went through and i remember specifically the bird and how evil he was and Mm -hmm. how like he would walk in the room and everyone would just fall silent because he was so scary and and it really did a good job of that so definitely recommend um wonderful movie and it's just a really cool story yeah so anyways that is the story of lewis zamparini our olympic runner and world war ii veteran wow 
<laughs> wow. Like I, I don't know. I'm trying. I trying to find words, but like that's just that's an amazing story. That's like that's really cool, right? Because I can't imagine being. How long was he at C four? Uh, forty seven days. Forty seven days. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Being out there, like the, I mean, that would have some effect on your sanity, I'm sure. Especially if someone ate all your chocolate. <laughs> you should tell what just happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> we just received a text from my dad saying, Oi, where's this week's podcast? <laughs> Don't Michael, worry, Dad. We're recording it now. We're It'll... literally in the middle of it. <laughs> Give me just a couple hours to get it recorded. He can't hear me right now. but <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it edited. We'll get it out. <laughs> And this one's a good one, so it'll be worth the wait. <laughs> Dad'll like the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wasn't that so cool? Though? That was I, really cool. Yeah, I seriously... This is one of those stories... I said this before, but this is one of those stories, but, like, the more you keep going, the more I'm just like, what, there's more? There's more? There's more? <laughs> like, oh, and it's just so cool to think everything that he was able to overcome. Yeah. You know, from bullying at a young age and getting into fights to literally being tortured and getting through it with a good attitude because you remember your parents recipes mm-hmm. you know <laughs> sharing it with people yeah exactly um and then being able to go and live this crazy life and and devote your life to like the higher power and and forgiveness and like i can only imagine how much peace he felt yeah you know like i have a, I have a couple of things to say so go for it like, with the whole him turning to Christianity and everything, like, a lot of people bag on the whole religion thing. And, like, you know, whatever, each to each their own and everything, but, like, and a lot of people think religion's just all in your head and everything. But it's like, you know, for some people, they need that. Mm-hmm. A lot of some, they, they need to find comfort in something. It's, I, I don't like, I don't like comparing this, but it's kind of the same reason people turn to alcohol. Like, they need something, like, some kind of uh, outlet. outlet. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, some outlets co- are healthier than others yeah and thank you <laughs> i was gonna get to that i'm just like obviously there's one that's better than the other like you know alcoholism is never good but um yeah i don't know it's just you know some people some people need that comfort knowing that there is a higher power mm-hmm. and everything maybe you don't sure that's the, i'm not saying that's it's bad if you if you don't have that right i'm just saying like stop making fun of people that do well here's my take on this i very much so believe in Jesus Christ and believe in, you know, God, our father. And, and, yeah. and that, I mean, I could go into that and just talk about that all day if I, if you <laughs> wanted me to, but like, I do have a testimony of these things. However, if we end up dying and finding out that none of it's true, I can at least say that my beliefs helped me to be a better person. Oh yeah. Because it helped me strive to be like Jesus Christ and to love one another and and to not be judgmental of those around me. Obviously I'm not perfect. Obviously I have long ways to go and I, I can nowhere I'm nowhere even close to the kind of person that Jesus Christ was. But if if we if if at the end of this we find out it's all a hoax, at least it helped me live a better life. Yeah. And for sure we can say that about Lewis and other people like him who turned to Christianity or turned to religion later in life and it served such a greater purpose for them. Yeah. You know? And without going too much into like this being a sermon or something. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, now let's turn to John. No, just kidding. (laughs) um, One other thing. So like the beginning of this, um, like with his brother and like and everything, 
I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if what it would would have been like if like me and my brother were like that at a young age. Because like I, when we were kids, like I really respected my brother. He was the, he was the one that I looked up to and everything. So like, um, for a while there, like I wanted I wanted to be like him because mm-hmm. he was, um, people liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, at home he was he had his mean times but i mean, I mean he's who a doesn't? brother right? who doesn't um <laughs> but like you know people knew him he was he was very well respected he was that guy who was like he was sporty he did gymnastics for i think mm-hmm. it was like nine years yeah 11 years somewhere on there um basically his whole childhood he did gymnastics and so like he was pretty athletic and so like when he started up footy which for those of you don't know who what footy is it's australian football which is not rugby and it's not soccer okay it's that's football. another tangent that's another tangent <laughs> Um, look it up <laughs> AFL um, <laughs> but anyway so like like every, everyone knew him mm-hmm. um, and so and me and my brother we look minus our um, hair colors and everything like we look pretty similar uh-huh. um, and so you know I'd walk down the street uh, coming or like you know going to my mom's office after school and something like that and people would be like on the street hey are you Mitzi's brother <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm like, yep. And I was, you know, kind of sheepish, very shy because I wasn't my brother. Like, mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, not even his shadow. I was just a completely different entity. For him, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, sure. I am. But anyway, um, and I, I got my mom. I'm like, someone just asked if I was Mitzi's brother. He's like, next time someone asks you that, just say, no, I am Mitzi. He's like, we're all Mitzi. You're Mitzi. I'm Aww, Mitzi. Papa's Mitzi. So cool. Yeah, mom's pretty cool. But anyway, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, my brother had that huge reputation and uh-huh. like it didn't transfer to me but i was recognized as his brother yeah like, that, that was pretty cool yeah that was pretty cool like having my brother be that kind of person who mm-hmm. who people knew yeah that is cool yeah well i'm sorry that your brother's recognition didn't get you to the olympics but oh it, it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i have zero desire or to talent run. <laughs> to run in the olympics <laughs> i have zero desire to run period <laughs> ever (laughs) ever (laughs) well we better get this episode so dad can listen to it yeah sorry michael we're on it we're on it we're on it (laughs) all right um but real quick oh oh while you're looking that up okay so um i wanted to make a public correction because apparently like two or three episodes ago i said that my mom's birthday was october 11th which it is not it is october 9th not that everyone needs to know when my mom's birthday is but I just wanted to put that out there. I do know when my mom's birthday is, I promise. <laughs> no, but um, my friend Jessie pointed that out because uh, one of her kids actually shares a birthday with my mom. So she was like, wait a second. Am I just not remembering your mom's birthday correct? <laughs> and then it was, yeah, it was just so funny. And she was, actually, we had a really funny conversation. She was talking about how she, like, listens to our podcast. She's like, I feel like I know you guys. And you don't know me the way that I know you. <laughs> She's like, it's a little bit creepy. And she told me, <laughs> sorry, Jesse, I'm putting you on blast. She told me that she has had dreams where she like goes up to us and is like, hey, I know these things about your life. And we're just like, and you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we ever need a, uh, a guest speaker, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring Jesse on board. Oh, it's just so funny. Anyways, Jesse, you are awesome. And this is actually a story recommended by Jesse. So oh, cool. I feel like this was an like, honorable mention. Uh, so. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Keep them coming. She recommends a lot of stories to us. Um, she yeah, she's recommended a few. Yeah, this was one so, of them. Keep them coming. <laughs> all right, anyway, so for all you people out there, all of our listeners, 
If you can't blind people with brilliance, baffle them with nonsense. Amen. The I like that. End. <laughs> Until next time. Bye.